How many of you have finished your Christmas shopping? Just lift a hand. Uh, we're in trouble. How many of you have yet to even start? Yeah, we're more than in trouble. How many of you wait until Christmas Eve? It's every man in this room, no doubt. I'm sure you will take care of business. These four Sundays of Christmas, we think of the senses, the sense of sight, the ability we have to see. Today, lighting a candle, remembering what we have the ability to hear. And the presentation tonight is aptly titled, Do You Hear What I Hear? The passages that we're reading uh, in the Christmas season are available online. They're available in a, a, a daily Bible reading guidebook. If you did not pick one up or you would like to have one, you can pick one up at one of the info centers before you leave the building today. But these readings, we're talking about one of those passages that you're going to read in this coming week. And this coming week, we focus upon the sense of hearing, the ability to to distinguish what is said, to understand the words, to act upon what you and I hear. Because if Christmas is about anything, we know it's about the senses. It's looking and seeing the sights of Christmas. It's hearing the Christmas carols. It's hearing the Word of God as it's read. It's hearing the message of God. We've chosen to look at the second chapter of Luke this morning. In Luke chapter 2, it's in verses 1 to 20 that we have the telling of the Christmas story. And we read from that during the Christmas season. But it's in the latter portions of Luke chapter 2, specifically as we read this morning, verses 41 to 50, that we want to focus on the idea of hearing, the sounds of Christmas, if you will. You know, there's very, very little told in the Scriptures about Jesus when he was growing up. He's born in Luke chapter 2, eight days after his birth, his mother and father, Mary and Joseph, bring him to the temple to present him. That was a customary uh, rite of passage, if you will, a religious ceremony when a newborn was brought to the temple, and they did that. And then we have nothing of record, nothing in the, in the Scriptures, nothing in the Bible that talks about what Jesus did during those years from his eighth day of life all the way up until he's 12 years of age. And it's the passage in Luke chapter 2, verses 41 to 50, that tells us of an event that happened when Jesus was 12. And then after this event, 18 years goes by before we're told anything else about Jesus. And that's when he's 30 years of age and he leaves home. So much is left unsaid. A lot of people have tried to fill in the blanks. You may or may not know that there are many infancy gospels that have been written. They are not in our Bible, thank goodness, because they are ridiculous in nature. They will tell fanciful stories of Jesus when he was four or five years of age, playing with his friends and taking clay and making pigeons out of that clay. And all the other boys and girls playing with their clay pigeons watched as Jesus said the magic words and his came to life and flew away. 
I mean, almost things that, that are irreverent in the fact that they are so ridiculous. And those who put together and collected the books that we know to be the 66 divinely inspired books of the Bible looked very carefully at those fanciful stories and excluded them because they were not true. They were not accurate. They were not authoritative. They had no integrity. So we're left with what we have here. His birth, when he's brought before the temple, the priest, when he's eight days old, then this one event when he's 12, and then 18 years later at the age of 30, he leaves home, and then we have plenty of detail from the life and the ministry of Jesus until he goes to the cross. So let's make the most of the one event we do have. What can we learn from it? There's much to be heard. Luke 2, verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when Jesus became 12, they went up there according to the custom of the feast. And as they were returning, after spending the full number of days, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents were unaware of it. They supposed him to be in the caravan. And they went a day's journey. And they began looking for him among their relatives and their acquaintances. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. Then after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When they saw him, they were astonished. And his mother Mary said to him, Son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And Jesus said to them, Why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand the statement, statement which he had made to them. Of all the things that could be included in the life of Jesus, of all the, the things we might want to know, of all the questions we might have, of all the details we wish we could nail down, of all the heroic deeds that Jesus surely did between his birth and when he left home at age 30, this is what we have. We want to take a close look at what we have at this event in the life of Jesus, a journey back to Jerusalem for the great feast of the Passover. Because there is much to hear in this passage. Because this passage we have not only heard, it's not only about the art of listening, if you will, but we see that the people involved in this story, in this episode, Jesus, his parents, all of his relatives, the leaders of the temple, the chief priests and the scribes, they all are recorded here as both speaking and listening. little background before we actually move into the details. What's happened here? Well, you remember Jesus was raised in Nazareth. If you can envision a map of the Holy Land, just standing right here, and let's pretend that the Holy Land is my height. The map is, you know, from the floor up to six feet, one inch. And Jerusalem is going to be about right here. Nazareth is about right here. It's 80 miles north of Jerusalem. That's where Jesus grew up. 
He is known as Jesus of Nazareth in many portions of the Scripture. Why? Because there were many people, there were many boys named Jesus. It's a very common name in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. The the Old Testament name Joshua is rendered in the New Testament Jesus. So when we think of his name and when we uphold the name of Christ, the name of Jesus, we need to remember that, yes, we have taken that one name and elevated it above every name as we should. But in the days in which Jesus lived and grew up, he was one of many boys named Jesus. So he's known as Jesus of Nazareth. And his followers became known as the Nazarenes, if you will. The custom within Jewish life was for the mom and the dad, the family, the extended family, to make it to Jerusalem for the three great feasts that happen every year. One of those feasts would be Passover that's mentioned here. Another choice, if they could afford to go, would have been the Feast of Tabernacles. That would have been another. There could have been a third one, which would have been the Day of Atonement. Many, many people could not afford to make the journey to Jerusalem, especially an 80-mile journey from Nazareth up here all the way to Jerusalem. And so maybe they chose to save up and they cleared their calendar and they made sure that they were able to go to Jerusalem for the high feast, for the most important one, the time of Passover, when they celebrated their release from bondage in Egypt. And it appears that this is what Mary and Joseph did. Some scholars would say that this is the first time Jesus went back to Jerusalem in his 12 years of life. It's not certain that that's the case, but it is certain that when he turned 12, a significant birth year in the life of a Hebrew boy, It was a rite of passage, if you will. When you were 12 years of age, you were on the threshold of becoming a man. We almost laugh at that now. But remember, Solomon began his reign as king over Israel when he was how old? When he was 12. Samuel, the great prophet judge whom God used mightily in his life, began to prophesy before he was 12 years of age. And so in Jewish life, when you were a young man and you turned that age in your 12th year, right before 13, you were to make this journey to Jerusalem to be initiated, if you will, into the religious life, for you to assume responsibility, for you to acknowledge that now you were going into those years where you're going to take on responsibility before God. So Mary and Joseph... Set aside out of the calendar, reserved these days, and they made the journey to Jerusalem. Not just the three of them, but their whole entourage, the caravan. It's interesting that biblical backgrounds will tell us that when families traveled like this, it would be a a large group of people. It took two or three days to make these 80 miles. And historians outside the Bible will tell us that many times it was the women and the children who would lead this caravan. And the young men and the men would be pulling up the rear. They would be behind, maybe leaving several hours later. But they would all move toward their destination with all the cousins and all the aunts and all of the uncles and all of perhaps the people that lived in their neighborhood in Nazareth who were all making plans to go to Jerusalem for the Passover. And so that's the way they did things. And they arrived in Jerusalem. And it says there that they spent the full number of days. If we take that literally, it would have been a week. Seven days was the duration from the beginning of the Passover until it signaled its end. 
If they had had the ability to stay the full amount of days, which it appears to me is what this means, then they had been there a week. And so they begin to head home. And here's where the problem begins. Here's where we find the most insight into the life of 12-year-old Jesus, the Son of God. He stayed behind. They went ahead. Wasn't anything unusual about that. It says they were unaware that Jesus had stayed behind. Once again, if you're traveling in an entourage, if you're traveling in a large caravan, if it's customary for one group maybe to leave several hours before another, and then you've got all of the ones coming in between, and then you have the posted men of the house or men of the community who are bringing up the rear to make sure that everything is fine, it makes total sense that Mary would think that Jesus was with Joseph in the back, or that Joseph would say, well, Jesus wanted to visit with some of his friends, or maybe he had something to do, and especially to have a conversation with his mother. And so either way, it was fine. Mary thought he was with Joseph. Joseph thought he was with Mary. No big deal. That's happened before. In the years we've been here in this church, there had been an occasion or two where I would drive home, Marcy would drive home, and then Brooke would call and say, we left her. Well, Marcy, I thought you had her. Well, Stephen, I thought you had her. Well, no one had her. It turned out Brooke was fine with that. <laughs> but you know how it is. That's what happened. Now, it says that they looked for three days. Keep in mind the chronology here. Very carefully, literally, what happened was that the entourage left Jerusalem. They went a day. They realized that Jesus wasn't with Mary. And Mary realized he wasn't with Joseph. They spent a day going back to Jerusalem, looking along the road to see if he was going to catch up. Maybe he was with another group that had left later. And then when they got back to Jerusalem, they spent a third day, another day, looking until they found him. So they're traveling a day. It takes a day to get back. And then it takes that third day when they finally realize... <clears throat> that he's in the temple. And there we find Jesus sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. But let's talk about these ones who were listening, these ones who were talking. Let's, let's do it in this way. <laughs> let's listen for a moment to what the church says. Because you see, Mary and Joseph are to be commended here because they brought Jesus to church. They brought him up in a religious environment. And that doesn't happen in all families. We know that. The church is very important to this situation. The church is very important to the life of Jesus, even though he is the perfect, sinless son of God. He had to go through a, a period of growing and and an understanding and an awareness of who he was and how God was working in his life. The last verse of this chapter says that Jesus continued to grow in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So he wasn't born a baby with all of the knowledge of what it meant to be Jesus, the sinless son of God who would go to a cross. God revealed that to him. And church had a lot to do with that. His parents, Mary and Joseph, took him to church here in the big sense this great feast, the temple, 
represents a, a high moment, if you will. But back in Nazareth, 80 miles north of Jerusalem, there was a synagogue. There was a church. And Mary and Joseph brought their child and all the other children that they had. They brought them to church. That's important. What do you do today when you look for a church? Hopefully you're looking for a place not just to have, uh, not just to have fellowship, if you will. Not just to be involved in a group. But when you're looking for a church, when you're a young family or when you're, you have children that are in high school or college, when you're a senior adult, when you're looking for a church, you should be looking for a church that does certain things. Like what? That honors Christ. Honors the Lordship of Christ. That honors God's Word. That gives opportunities to serve. Church to so many people is just another institution. And if church becomes just an institution, just a part of society, then you've misunderstood. The church demands more from its members than many of its members are willing to give. And that's what's sad in our day and time. So we listen, just as Jesus was in the temple, listening to the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders. Just as in our day, we should bring our families, we should raise our families, we should plug in and make church life a priority, if we're listening. Let's listen for a moment to what the parents have to say. Listen to your parents. There's a great lesson here because in this passage, Jesus, 12 years of age, got lost. He apparently didn't hear that Joseph said, we're leaving at such and such a time. Or if he did, he chose to ignore it for whatever reason. But the passage is very clear here that after this event, Jesus didn't say, I'm staying here in Jerusalem. I've got important things to do. He went back home with his parents. And the Bible says he obeyed his parents. Now you notice he does make a distinction here. Mary, when she finally found him, was concerned and she rushed up to him and she said, Son, why have you treated us this way? Your father and I, father referring to Joseph, have been anxiously looking for you. And then Jesus says, why were you looking for me? Did you not know I had to be in my father's house? So even at age 12, Jesus makes a distinction between Joseph, his earthly guardian, and God, his heavenly father. But it does matter what our parents say. It matters. Debbie Rush is a long-time kindergarten teacher at the College Street Elementary Church here in Louisville. And she's retired now. She retired this school term. But Steve Blow, who's a Dallas Morning News columnist, picked up an interview or a, uh, an article that he had either come across or he wrote about this retiring teacher, kindergarten teacher for many, many years, right here in our area. And she said that she had some words of wisdom for parents. I wanted to read you a portion of this article. Not saying that everything she says is correct, but it gives us something to think about. She said, I'm a kid watcher. Wherever I go, I sit and I watch, and usually I am appalled. Debbie believes the worst trend over the last 30 years has been the idea that parents and children should be friends. 
No, she says, quote, God did not put you here to give birth to your friend. Get a puppy or a goldfish if you want to have a friend. She said there is a desperate need for authentic, authoritative, unpopular parents. Quote, when did we start to negotiate with our children, she asked. I hear it all the time in the way parents talk to their kids. They say, it's time for dinner, okay? Put that toy back, okay? Don't ask, tell it, say it, and mean it. She said parents are now reluctant to be direct and forceful with their children because they can't see, stand to see their children upset or angry. She says their little feelings are going to be hurt, and that's okay. Believe me, they'll get over it. And that brings us to punishment. She says, oh, don't get me started out on this time out in naughty chair business. She said it with a weary laugh. She thinks it's mostly a joke. She said kids need to face real consequences. They need a quick, uncomfortable, attention-grabbing response to their misbehavior. What this might be varies with each child. A stern glare will do for some. But she's not opposed to spanking those who laugh off everything else. It has to hurt or it didn't do any good, she said. But once might be enough. And a real pearl is this. You don't have to spank them if they know you will. Which brings us to the empty threats. She said parents lose authority by constantly threatening punishments they would never really do. Don't say it unless you mean it. And if you said it, do it. She knows that many working parents are exhausted and give in to their kids simply to avoid the confrontation. They say it's just easier. Well, it may be easier, but it's not best, she said. Parents need to take control of their houses again. And if there's one place for parents not to back or to back off, it's in defending their kids at school. A few years ago, one little girl called Debbie a name. When I called her mother about it, the mother said, well, that's what she says when she really gets mad. What did you do to make her so mad? The rest, you can borrow it if you want to. Listen to your parents. Jesus did. Even a 12-year-old who had a conscious knowledge that life for him was going to be different than other boys. He obeyed his parents. See, it goes back to church life too, doesn't it? If the church is a priority and parents are bringing their children to church, if church life becomes something more than you have to go or else, and if parents lead by example, and if moms and dads are authentically involved in the teaching of their children as they all come to God's house as they all are involved in the life and ministries of a church like ours. Then it helps at church and it helps at home. Let's take another moment and listen to what Jesus says here because he, he said some things. I, I think it's, it's amazing that when Mary came to him, and you heard the dialogue, son, why have you treated us this way? We've been anxiously looking for you. And they had been three, it had been a day out there, a day back, and it took them a day to find him. And it's Jesus' answer. In some ways, you could say he was a little bit short with his mother, but he wasn't. 
You notice his answer was, why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know I would be or I had to be in my father's house? I think there's a whole line of thought there of of you knew where to find me. Think about that. It's not that Jesus said, I'm playing hide and seek. He said, if you really understood, if you really were thinking about it, I know that you had to go a day out there before you realized I wasn't with you, Mom, and Dad, I wasn't with Mom, and all that. And I know it took you a day to get back, but once you got back, here's my question. Why would you wonder where I would be? It's as though Jesus was saying, as soon as you got back to Jerusalem, if you really understood and really knew me and really paid attention to what I thought was important in life, you would have looked here first. Now, that's a novel thought. For our children, for, for our young people, for the high school, the middle school student, for the college student, whoever you are, when, when you're dealing with relationships, when you're dealing with family, wouldn't it be nice to never have to guess where your child would be? Or from the personal, just take it personally, wouldn't it be nice to live a life with such integrity and such purpose to where no one ever had to wonder where you were in life? No one ever had to wonder what you were doing? Because just like a 12-year-old boy in Jerusalem, if his mom and dad had really stopped and thought, okay, we travel the day out, we travel the day back, we know where he'll be. He's going to be at church. He's going to be sitting with the teachers, listening, asking questions. You know, when Jesus got to be a man, when he turned 30 and went to his ministry, he said some things like this one day. He said, hey, folks, he said, let your yes be yes and let your no be no. He said, don't be talking in grays and shades of gray when it comes to integrity, when it comes to character. That's the same thing here. Why, why would you have to look for me? Why would you have to guess where I would be? And then how many times did Jesus say and use to employ the same verb here? He said, I must be, I had to be in my father's house when he was 12. And he employed the same emphasis and used the same word when he said, I must go to Jerusalem and die on a cross. I must suffer. I must go to my Father in heaven. I must be placed in a tomb. See, if we listen to what Jesus says, then we realize that we don't have to live life with all these secrets. We don't have to live life with all these hidden agendas. We can let our yes be yes, our no be no. And with a 12-year-old boy is an object lesson here. When he simply, without any disrespect, reminded us parents, did you really have to guess where I would be? He said it all. See, I I think this whole thing about listening has something to do with The idea, someone said it this way. It was a business-related book, Principles of Leadership. But the author said one of the most important things in any relationship in life, he was talking about business, but it has everything to do with family. He said, seek first to understand and then 
to be understood. Now look at that. Seek first. What do most of us do? We seek first for people to understand us, for us to be understood. For we got to get our words out. We have to get our agenda before them. We have to let them know. And instead, the real art of listening, if you're really hearing, if you're really concentrating on what's most important, it will be that as you take it in, you will seek to understand those that are speaking to you, those that are leading you, those that are guiding you, those that have authority over you. You will seek to understand where those people are coming from. And then, and only then, will you really have a way to be understood. I must what? I must go to a cross, Jesus said. If you want to be first in my kingdom, you must what? You must get to the back of the line. If you truly want to be great in my kingdom, you must what? You must be a servant of all. If you truly want to live and live life abundantly, then you must be willing to what? To die. Seek first to understand, then be understood. How much different would life be if we could simply apply a principle like that in our relationships. Then I guess it really all comes down to, do you hear what I hear? That's the ultimate question. That's the question that the choir and orchestra and all the support cast, everyone that's going to be here tonight at 7 o'clock, that's the way they are approaching the message of Christmas. And it's a wonderful question to ask. Do you hear what I hear? Do we truly hear and understand? Because you see, folks, the way I look at it, when I take a passage like this and really listen to it, I draw several conclusions. I see Jesus growing up in a large family. He was not an only child. There were a lot of issues going on as he was growing up. He grew up in a very despised city, living way up there 80 miles north of Jerusalem. He was tucked away in an area and in a place where no one considered anything to be of any amount. Nazareth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth, people were saying, when he was 30 years of age? He grew up poor. Joseph was a carpenter. But that doesn't mean he was a master builder or owned a construction company. He was a simple tradesman. Jesus grew up in a time when religion, when Judaism was at an all-time low. The religious and moral decay in his own country was at an all-time high. That's the environment Jesus grew up in. He grew up with a Roman Empire that was taxing the people, that was oppressing the people. Every single day there was always something. And society was just in a state of outright fear. Everything was changing every day. And yet, what did Jesus do? He was able to listen. He's able to respond with obedience to his earthly parents. Because he learned in doing that, he was able to understand and obey the will of the Father. And it all begins with what we hear. History tells us that in the 1200s, in the land of Bavaria, King Henry III was king. And he grew tired of his, of his job. He, he just, history says he just hated it. He didn't like it anymore. Didn't want to be king. What did he do? He was a religious person. He was a believer. He was a Christian. And he 
abdicated his throne. He was willing to give up his ability to rule. And he enrolled and sought admission to a monastery in his country. A place where people would commit their lives to contemplation and meditation. To be a monk. And the prior of the monastery, the leader of the monastery, was shocked that King Henry III would give up his throne in order to enroll to become someone who would live out his life in a monastery. So we had a conversation with him. He said, it's going to be very difficult for you, O king, because if you do this, you know what it means, don't you? And he said, well, what? He said, it means that you're going to obey. And it will be very hard for you because you've been king to obey. But that's the commitment you're going to have to make. And the king said with all honesty, history tells us, that he said, I understand and I will obey you, my leader, as you obey the will of Christ. And then the leader of the monastery looked back at him and said, okay, the deal is done. Now, here's what I'm asking you to do. I want you to go back to your throne and I want you to rule I want you to rule with integrity. I want you to lead the people. I want you to be king. That is what I'm asking you to do. I want you to lead faithfully where God has put you. King Henry III died. It's said of him, the king learned to rule by being obedient. All we got to do is listen what our church tells us. All we've got to do is listen to what our family, parents, our family, those in authority over us tell us. All we've got to do is listen to the very words of Jesus. Do you hear? Will you obey? Our Father, we do thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity to come into your presence, sing songs of praise to you, to lift our voices, to pray to know that you hear us when we pray. And Father, it's my prayer that in these closing moments of our service that you will help us to make the choices that honor you. It's in Christ's name we offer our prayer this morning. Amen. We close our service today with a a time of commitment, a song of invitation. We believe that when God speaks, he always gives us, his people, an opportunity to respond. And that time of response is now. This is what I want to ask of you. I know we've got an orchestra down here, but we still have aisles that are wide open. There are going to be ministers standing at these aisles, deacons, people who are concerned about you. If you're here today and you have yet to say yes to the claim of Jesus upon your life, to be your Savior, to forgive you of your sin, then I want to ask you to come forward and profess your faith in Jesus. Become a follower of Christ, to believe in Him. We can pray with you. We can help clarify some issues. We can't make this choice for you. But we'll be waiting for you as you come. Maybe you know the Lord, just never told anyone. Maybe you've never followed him in believer's baptism like a young girl named Samantha did at the beginning of this hour. Find out what that symbol really means, that act of obedience that will encourage other people. Come forward if that's the need in your life today. Maybe you need a a church to call your own. Maybe this is where God would have you to join, to plug in, to be a part of this church. Remember, church is a big part of our lives. It should be. You simply need to find the one where you can worship, where you can serve, where you can give, where you can participate. And if that happens to be this one, we invite you to come and join with us. Put your life into the life of this church.
that maybe it's just simply a matter of hearing and obeying. Maybe there's an area in your life where you've ignored the Word of God. Maybe there's a place where you need to go. Maybe there's a relationship that needs to be mended. Maybe it's simply a, a call to return back to a routine of spiritual activity in the life of the church, your church. Do you hear? And will you obey? And if you find yourself where you don't want to be in life, just remember a king who felt the same way. He wanted to give up what he was doing. He was tired of it. And he wanted to go do God's will. And he found out that to do God's will meant that he would obey and serve where God put him. If you're here today and you just need someone to pray with you, there's going to be folks standing right over here on either side where I am on the edge there. And all they're there to do is just to, to say, let me pray with you. Not to judge you, not to necessarily counsel you, but just to pray. Well, that's our invitation. We stand together, we sing, we wait for you. As you step out, come forward right now.